Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day, and we hope you are safe and well. Coming up on our program today, we're going to talk about the trade issues between the U.S. and China. Hong Kong now a big factor in that. We'll talk with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. We'll talk markets and crop conditions with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. And we're going to take a look at a couple of states' pork industries and how they're dealing with the crisis in the pork industry right now and dealing with the euthanization of hogs in some cases and disposal of those animals. We're going to talk with the Iowa and the Illinois Pork Producers Associations and uh, get their thoughts on what's going on in their particular states and what's how they're handling these issues in both Illinois and Iowa. So that's coming up on today's program. We're going to start things off, though, with DTN reporter Todd Neely. Todd, thanks for joining us. Hey, Mike. Very good to be here. Remember, wasn't that long ago, was it, when COVID-19 was the big news story? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that's so yesterday now, Mike. It's just been yeah. It's just been crazy. And, you know, I'm I'm amazed as I watch all this, and and it's not just in the major urban areas. It's happening in rural America as well. Um, and I understand people's rights to protest, peaceful protest, certainly. But I'm amazed at the people that seem upset and critical of someone getting arrested when they vandalize someone's business. Now, I'm thinking if you and I go out and bust a window and steal something <laughs> from a store, and especially if we're caught on video doing it, I'm thinking you and I are probably going to get arrested, right? Yeah, I, you know, I, I pretty much expect that. I think, uh, you know, it's so interesting to watch because, you know, I live in Lincoln, Nebraska, and, and uh, we're a fairly laid-back city. I mean, uh, you know, not a whole lot controversial goes on here, and uh, to see that kind of thing going on here is really kind of an eye-opener to us. I mean, it's just, you know, we, we're not the type of people here to, to obviously to do that kind of stuff, and so it's... Uh, it's just really been a strange time, and uh, you know, it's, you're right. This whole COVID thing just kind of disappeared out of the headlines. Yeah, strange times which we live in for sure. All right, let's move on to some stories, uh, some ag stories here. Uh, you've been covering a story about an Illinois farmer winning a wetlands case uh, against NRCS. Tell us about it. Yeah, Mike uh, Kurt Wilkie, who's from Springfield, Illinois, um, he had. He had a 80-acre 80 80 tract of land uh, that he bought and his family bought a number of years ago in 2010. Uh, you know, they went through all the hoops and made sure that the property was, was okay, no wetlands, no nothing. Uh, records dating back to the early 1900s show that uh, there had been a tiling system on his land, you know, all the way back then. Uh, then in 2011, he decided he was going to go and, and upgrade the tiling system. You know, it's fairly old at the time. Um, and then at that point, uh, the NRCS stepped in and said, no, you can't do that. It's wetlands. And uh, really the most interesting part of this case, you know, there are a lot of farmers who deal with the NRCS on wetlands. It's not that uncommon. Uh, but he went to court four different times and he won. Uh, but the NRCS each time kept insisting and kept restarting the process each time, uh, saying that there are wetlands and that he, uh, he's a potential of losing his farm payment status. And so uh, 
finally here back in April, uh, Wilkie well, got a letter from the National Appeals Division of the USDA uh, finally siding with him on this. Um, and so now he's waiting and hoping that you know, here any day he might receive uh, notification from them uh, that he might be reimbursed for his engineering and uh, court legal fees and those sorts of things. So it's really an unusual case. There, as far as we can tell, there's never been a case like this. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of cases, but not like this. And he's uh, he's obviously very happy, but it's uh, it's still not entirely resolved. He hopes to get uh, made whole at least somewhat. Yeah, these things just seem to go on and on and on. Meanwhile, the biofuels yeah. industry is once again defending its environmental track record, right? I mean, that's being called into question. Yeah, you know, it's it's been kind of a long, drawn-out process for, for the ethanol industry. Uh, you know, for years, when you, you look back in 2005, when, uh, when the RFS was created, um, you know, back in those days, not a whole lot was known about greenhouse gas emissions and, and air air quality uh, issues related to ethanol. Um, and so the, uh, the EPA back then had really made a lot of assumptions about what ethanol would mean for the environment. And, uh, you know, over the years, things have changed. You know, plants have become better. Uh, they're cleaner. And uh, the, the industry's fought for a very long time to have a lot of those assumptions updated by EPA. And uh, even now, it's still not being done. They put out a what they call an anti-backsliding study last week, uh, the EPA, uh, and in that it uh, it made it made no attempt whatsoever to update the numbers to update the the profile of, of ethanol. And so, uh, it's really been a kind of a strange thing, you know. The the, the data is there. I mean, there's plenty of academic work that's been done on this, and yet uh, EPA still refuses to to give ethanol its its uh, entire due. What are you hearing on the meatpacking issue? Uh, you know, not a whole lot to this point, other than, I, uh, you know, a lot of plants are still struggling to get employees back. Uh, there was one report, I believe, yesterday that, that talked about um, how one plant, a turkey plant in Iowa, uh, had to temporarily close down because they don't have enough employees. And so uh, I think that's probably the bigger issue going on down the road here, getting these plants back up to 100% is is uh, getting those employees back to work. You know, a lot of people have been sick and unable to get back. And I, I think, uh, you know, we're going to see probably slowly that starts to pick back up as this virus wanes down the road here. But going back to how we started this conversation off, it just shows because the news cycle is dominated by protests and riots, yeah. uh, We've these issues have not gone away that we're still dealing with from COVID-19. Absolutely. You know, we have a lot of a lot of hog farmers out there suffering big time. Um, you know, lots of animals still in the system and, and we're just we're just not seeing uh, these plants really pick up to 100 percent yet. It's just going to take some time. I mean, we're we're at least a couple of months away. I would I would suspect to getting anywhere close to normal. Yeah, normal is is elusive, although this past weekend, Actually went out to eat. Went out to eat at a couple of restaurants. Uh, we sat outside, and you know it, it, it felt great. Yeah, you take those things for granted, don't you? It's, yeah, you know, seeing the restaurants open back up, I think it's a big deal. You know, a lot of you know, been sucking down the fast food from the drive-throughs and and all that sort of thing. But yeah, it's it's good. At least that seems normal anyway. It does. Now, if my church will get open back up, that's what I'm really looking forward to. <laughs> Some are starting to open, and but uh, 
Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to ours getting open and being back there. All right, Todd, good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. We'll stay in touch. Talk to you probably next week. Hey, all right. Thanks, Mike. All right, DTN reporter Todd Neely. All right, growing tensions between the U.S. and China. How does it impact trade? We thought we saw a shutdown that might turn into a big shutdown on their purchases, but that seems uh, now is temporary. Uh, what's ahead? The Hong Kong issue in this. We'll talk with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk some trade issues. And as usual, we talk about trade issues with China. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation, joins us. Dave, thank you for being with us. How serious do you take this situation between the U.S. and China over Hong Kong? Well, it's certainly unsure at this time. You know, we had all the stuff that happened last week with the Chinese National People's Congress passing their law about imposing some new security uh, measures over Hong Kong. Then you had the uh, President Trump's remarks last Friday afternoon uh, starting the process. And I think that's an important word to remember. He said we would start a process of doing some things with Hong Kong, revoking some uh, usual uh, trade privileges they've had for a long, long time, and some other measures. And then we saw some reporting from uh, you know yesterday that China would pause on buying some products. And then you saw some other reports uh, yesterday evening that they uh, you know kind of had gone ahead and bought some ag products yesterday. So um, hard to clear out exactly which way is going on. Uh, It sure sounds like China doing some, you might say, trade retaliation for what the uh, president said that the U.S. would pursue. So a lot of uh, back and forth going on right now. And um, hard to see going forward what that's going to mean for ag trade. You know, if we remember a year or so ago, maybe more, the uh, China at one point when the back and forth was happening between the U.S. and China on tariff issues, said they were going to stop buying U.S. ag products. Well, you know, they didn't do that. Um, So, you know, we'll be, again, watching this closely. Um, Right now, of course, they are buying a lot of, uh, if you look at the soybean market, they're buying a lot of Brazilian soy. Well, there's a price advantage for Brazil, at least uh, with the value of their currency, and this is the time of year they usually do. But we're looking to see them buy, of course, uh, more U.S. product for the China Phase 1 agreement. This would normally be the time we'd look to see them making contracts for fall delivery for U.S. products, um, especially soybeans and other uh, you know, grain products. So um, something to watch real careful. We keep uh, trying to gauge where they're at on purchases according to the Phase 1 trade deal. But there weren't like monthly and weekly quotas, weren't were there? I mean, it was kind of a, how much they were going to buy in a, in a year, correct? So, I mean, we keep yeah. trying to look and see are they ahead or behind, but until the year's up, you can't really make that judgment. Well, you can't really. You look more at a progression over time. Even though it was said back in January that uh, there were 
some targets, specifically on commodities. Those were never released. So we have the overall goal of over two years, a total of $80 billion. Uh, the one-year target for this year, kind of the agreement was something like $36.5 billion, not quite half of the 80. So you kind of gauge against that. And at this point, you know, for the first quarter of 2020, China has bought about $3.1 billion. Now, normally, of course, we would see a uh, ramp up towards the fall in their purchases. But if they're going to approach um, that number, uh, they really got to they really have to step up. So um, we'll see how close we get to the uh, the commitments on phase one this year. We're talking with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, I guess if we're waiting for everything to be smooth sailing between the U.S. and China, we're going to wait a long time. That That's not going to happen. <laughs> but sometimes sometimes there's a big difference between what we see and hear in the headlines and what's actually taking place as far as trade is concerned and actual things going on. So you, sometimes you have to kind of, uh, you know, consider the source, uh, you know, the news media talking about one thing and we hear the rhetoric back and forth at one level, but sometimes there's still actually trade going on um, that we don't always, uh, you know, we don't always see or hear as much about. Yeah, yeah, you know, China, just staying with them, uh, they were uh, actually purchasing a lot of cargoes uh, in May. Uh, end of April and into May, there was quite a good demand. There was a lot of uh, attention being paid to that. They were stepping up purchases of pork and soy and wheat and sorghum, uh, other products. So they were they were out there uh, they were out there buying. And so now, you know, you contrast against where they were for most of the month of May. Uh, how long will this? If there really is a pause, and you know, this was directed. We understand to the Chinese state. Uh, trading companies not to private companies and so we have to see uh you know where that happens and and how deep and how far this goes if they are uh not going to buy things or at least uh where they on the pace they had been for a while other than china trade issues have kind of been pushed off the front burner off the front pages because of all else is going on with covid and now the protesting and rioting uh but obviously, for our economy to fully rebound, we need, uh, you know, strong exports. Where are we with some of our other key markets? Well, other markets are uh, still chugging along. I mean, we're still on a pace, and uh, USDA came out with their latest figures yesterday to have $136.5 billion in overall ag exports. Now, that's down a little bit from where they were in February. They were thinking about $139 billion. I think they attribute that to the effects of COVID on uh, on economies around the world. You know, kind of <laughs> countries have been shut down for a few months, haven't been in a, haven't been importing as much. Um, so a lot of the growth numbers for economies in Europe and in Asia are much less than they were projected to be early in the year. So this is having its impact, but still to be an awful lot of exports um, to most of the countries that we sell to our main uh, our main markets. We think exports should be on par. They're expected to be about the same to Canada and Mexico, to the European countries, Japan, South Korea. Um, we expect to be import to uh, be exporting much the same. So, um, but of course, it was the uh, boost that everybody's expecting from China that's uh, that's in some doubt right now. But you're having economies opening up, uh, port facilities opening up that had been closed. So you know, here domestically, things of course are uh, starting to reopen around the around the country. But um, 
we all know it takes time. The shutdown happened very quickly, but the recovery is going to take uh, going to take a lot longer. Remember when we talked about USMCA all the time? Don't hear much about it now. Yeah. No, no, going to effect July first. All the countries have a few countries have ratified it. They've uh, working through. There's still a few outstanding issues about regulations, especially on autos, which of course was the uh, prime piece of negotiating among the three countries for uh, converting NAFTA into USMCA. But that goes into effect uh, July 1st, and so we'll uh, start to uh, hopefully see the uh, impact of that as we go on from there. And of course, the United States and uh, Great Britain have started their trade negotiations. They did their first round May 5th uh, virtually. So I think a, a precedent has been set to do things uh, over the uh, computers and the phones, and they'll set up a, another round. A second round of negotiations will begin June 15th. I think, uh, as always, with these negotiations, it's a great start to move it along. Um, it's going to be an interesting negotiation. There's 27 or 28 chapters in it. It's a desire to try and get this done as soon as possible. But then, of course, the U.K. Uh, also has to negotiate at the same time with the European Union on a trade deal. And so they've, uh, they're being tugged in uh, various directions. For the U.S., we want to see a lot of changes. Uh, we want to see the U.K. move off of the EU strictures on uh, buying beef, pork, and poultry that have been uh, frustrating for the U.S. for so long. We need them to lower tariffs need action by them on geographic indications, biotechnology. Um, and I think they uh, are interested in talking about all those things, but they also at the same time have to keep a relationship with the European Union. So they're in a, uh, they're in a, they're in a tough place to do this, but I think there's a desire to get it done this year. Long ways to go. Those things take time, but I think it's worth pointing out that even though the, the news headlines are, are on something else, these things are important and they're still going on. Right, right. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot going on with the, the keeping the continual uh, trade uh, operations going and new things. Um, the U.S. will be starting a negotiation up with uh, Kenya. That could happen uh, in the middle of July. They could start uh, direct negotiations. The U.S. has uh, notified its negotiating objectives to Congress. And so they're uh, pretty much getting ready to begin with that. And over time, uh, depending on how that goes, that could open a whole series of discussions with a lot of other countries in Africa. So it's a uh, it's an ambitious trade agenda. And again, despite all the other things going on in the world, it, it keeps moving ahead. All right, Dave, good to talk with you again. Thanks for the update. Yeah, take care. Bye-bye. Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Up next, we're going to take a look at the pork industries in Iowa and Illinois and how they're dealing with the COVID-19 related issues. That's next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. We've talked a lot about the crisis in the pork industry, and we've talked uh, with members of the National Pork Producers Council kind of looking at the overall uh, situation for the, the industry. We want to kind of focus in, come down to the state level now. We're going to talk uh, about a couple of states, Iowa and Illinois. And we have with us uh, from the Iowa Pork Producers, the Iowa Pork CEO, 
Pat McGonigal. Pat, thank you for joining us. Mike, glad to be with you. Also with us is Jennifer Tyree, Executive Director of the Illinois Pork Producers Association. Jennifer, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Good morning, Mike. Well, let's get started. Pat, I want to start with you. Uh, A lot of focus in Iowa, a lot of attention on uh, the euthanization of hogs. Give us an update on where that's at. Yeah, Mike. Well, um, of course, we have to step back to step forward, but um, pork producers, because of what's happened in the processing plants, um, have been put in a position where they have to make some very difficult decisions. I am impressed, uh, deeply impressed so far at the uh, innovativeness of pork producers to try to figure out how to slow pigs down and different uh, animal care practices, different nutrition. But we've kind of come to the point now where pork producers are uh, euthanizing pigs. I will tell you, here in Iowa, we haven't euthanized hundreds of thousands of pigs. It's maybe been a, a few thousand Um, And most of that's driven by not only the innovation of pork producers, but other things we've done to to put uh, pigs into the food channel as opposed to uh, for disposal. And so uh, that's kind of where we're at today. For those, though, that have to be disposed of, uh, are there, I've been hearing about some programs, some assistance for producers. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so there's really two things. One is a resource tool. It's uh, called the RCC is what we've nicknamed it here uh, in Iowa, and it's through the Iowa Department of Agriculture. And it's really kind of a a broad-based tool that producers can use to uh, get some guidance, get some assistance, work with their veterinarian, um, those kinds of things on proper euthanization uh, practices and also proper disposal practices. So that's kind of one tool. And then last week, um, through the Department of Agriculture again, and and with the support of the governor of the state of Iowa, we uh, released a program called IDAP, where producer can uh, producers can get some financial assistance for uh, disposal of pigs that they've had to euthanize. Jennifer, what's the situation in Illinois? Thank you for asking, Mike. Well, um, we're not out of the woods yet, but we are cautiously optimistic that, at to Pat's point, our producers have been very creative in their marketing efforts. And so they have been able to get those hogs moved through the supply chain regardless of the packing plant capacity. We have been fortunate in Illinois that our packing plants are continuing to gain momentum each day And so we have not had the need yet for producers to put down market size hogs, but we are still keeping an eye on the situation. We've developed a pork hotline where producers can call and let us know if things are changing on farm. And, of course, the Illinois Pork Producers Association is available for them to call at any time as well. And so right now we're really in the monitoring uh, status here in Illinois. Pat, what's the packing plant situation for Iowa? Well, it was it was getting better. Um, we're up into the high 70%, low 80% on kind of a daily, weekly, and so it's getting better. Um, unfortunately, late last week, um, 
the Tyson plant in Storm Lake was completely shut down. Um, we're hopeful that's only for a couple of days, um, but obviously that has an, a big impact on a number of producers. So right now, Mike, we're in that high 70, low 80 percent across the state of Iowa. We're talking with Pat McGonigal. He is the uh, CEO for the Iowa Pork Producers and Jennifer Tyree, Executive Director for the Illinois Pork Producers. Jennifer, what are you hearing from producers? What are their biggest issues? It's obviously uh, price uh, is, a, is a huge concern. and They're looking at keeping their operations going. Uh, there is some assistance now, of course, with CFAP. What are you hearing from producers? Well, we are hearing right now, really, they're calling and wanting to make sure their packing plants are running. Um, with the Storm Lake in Iowa, that obviously impacts us because a lot of our farmers that send to Tyson also ship their hogs to Columbus Junction and to Logansport, Indiana. And so we are getting calls on a daily basis, just kind of wanting to know what the status is of the packing plants because that is such a critical component to getting our animals through the supply chain. And Pat, what are you hearing from your producers? Well, it's a uh, a vast array. Obviously, uh, just getting into the market channel to, to processors is a critical issue. Um, uh, obviously, the, the uh, price is a big concern. Um, in addition to that, and our Department of Agriculture here has been very helpful, is um, just producers aren't used to this situation we're in, and we're not the only ones in this situation, but where you have to slow pigs down if you have to have discussions about euthanization. So it's really kind of a counter discussion to what we've ever had. But I, I, I just assure you that it's um, pork producers are doing everything they can to Take care of the animals, number one, and number two, move those pigs to the food channel. The pork industry, of course, has already undergone a huge transformation. We saw it after the crisis of the late 90s and the changes in the pork industry, just massive changes. Uh, Jennifer, do you think uh, this could cause those kind of structural changes in uh, the industry moving forward? We are certainly keeping an eye on our independent farmers. Those are the ones that we want to make sure we can see them at the end of this crisis and that they are still operating a lot of family farms, a lot of diversification in our state where they've put up a hog barn to allow their son or daughter to come back to the farm. And we want to be able to ensure that that industry is still intact after this. And so absolutely we are keeping an eye on that situation and wanting to be a resource for those producers every step of the way. Also, we know, and I'm very familiar here in Illinois, a lot of producers are working for a larger company on their own farms. They're just working for someone else. Is is that structure uh, at risk through this? Well, if our larger integrators can't continue to pay those bills and fulfill those contracts, absolutely. And so we want to make sure that we at the Illinois Pork Producers are working for all aspects of the industry, big or small, because we really are part of one larger concept here. And so if one part of our industry starts to fall, another part could be uh, impacted. It's like a domino effect. And so it's very critical for us to make sure we're supporting all those aspects. And Pat, what about you? What do you, do you think we're the industries on the verge of another 
major transformation? Well, I, I, my comments would be uh, echo exactly what Jennifer shared, um, particularly as it regards to uh, independent producers that are trying to find their way through this path, uh, through this crisis. But um, certainly it's going to have some some impact, without a doubt, and the system is stressed at all levels. Um, I, I think that's why it's imperative and and. National Pork Producers Council have a request out there for the, some indemnity for pork producers, um, not, not for uh, disposal, um, but for market price disruption. And I, I think it's imperative that we get that in place and that Congress takes action on that, or we're going to see even more uh, economic damage to independent pork producers and, for that matter, all producers but in particular, independent pork producers uh, and and their future gets a little bumpier as we move forward without that help from the uh, federal government. Mm-hmm. And finally, Jennifer, uh, we'll start with you. I know you're waiting to get word on whether or not there's going to be an Illinois State Fair. That's a, a big showcase for the Illinois pork industry and uh, consumers, fairgoers look forward to coming by the pork patio every year. Yes, we are anxiously waiting to hear some confirmation whether they're going to have a state fair or not. That is a large fundraiser for our industry that we're able to help through non-checkoff dollars support our membership each year. And it's a great way for us to see our fairgoers that come back to the pork patio year after year in Springfield at the Illinois State Fairgrounds. And so we are talking with our Department of Agriculture Director, Jerry Costello, on a weekly basis and hoping to hear something from him here in the next at least week or two because plans have to be made and we really need to start to um, activate those plans if we're going to have a fair. And so it's critical to get that information very quickly. Pat, real quick, what's the status with the Iowa State Fair? Uh, similar to what you are in Illinois, Mike, um, we're just waiting to hear. We had a group of pork producers work on Saturday, get together to kind of work on provisional plans, just like nearly every business out there is uh-huh. building provisional plans that if they have the fair, we'll do this, and if they don't have the fair, we'll do this. So uh, we'll we're wait. just anxiously waiting like everyone else. Yep, hopefully we'll get good news on that. I want to thank both of you, Pat McGonigal. Iowa Pork CEO and Jennifer Tyree, Executive Director of the Illinois Pork Producers. Thank you both for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. All right, up next, we're going to talk uh, crop conditions and markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Stay with us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. 
If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had this toe. Everything's changed. I had this toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to chill. First, keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Use an appliance thermometer to be sure things are cool. Then, chill leftovers and takeout foods within two hours and divide food into shallow containers for fast cooling. And always thaw meat, poultry, and seafood in the fridge, not on the counter, and never overstuff the fridge. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Well, as we all get used to the changes in our lives brought on by COVID-19, it'll be interesting to see which changes occur that will last after COVID-19. Let's talk about it with Charlie Arnott, CEO for the Center for Food Integrity. Charlie, I, I just think it'll be interesting to see what trends develop and stay with us after we get past this pandemic. Uh, Each week we are tracking and kind of following consumer trends as they continue to evolve. And the real question, I think, for those in food and agriculture will be, which of these are kind of knee-jerk reactions or fads, and which of these are trends that we're likely to see that will impact behavior, attitudes, and the way that consumers engage with agriculture in the long term. One of the interesting things that we're seeing is that people are really beginning to look more toward technology to overcome some of the challenges that we see across society. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you. Cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. During this COVID-19 crisis, everyone is experiencing raised stress levels. Business is disrupted and consumers are scared. 
The result can create tense situations. The Better Business Bureau encourages everyone to treat each other with grace, respect, and empathy. We need to work together. When life begins to normalize, people will remember how they were treated during this time. If businesses and consumers treat each other fairly, these relationships will last far beyond this crisis. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net joins us. And Ag, this is kind of a scary, Matt, Matt, this is kind of a scary (laughs) thought. You and I are thinking alike here. So I don't know what that means. It's bad for one of us, probably, if we're both thinking alike. But uh, I saw something you put on Twitter, and it's a note that I had just written down that I'm going to talk about uh, later uh, in some commentary that I'm uh, working on. We're seeing here yet another crisis hits our country and the lack of objectivity. Everybody seems to, well, not everybody, but so many people seem to see everything through a political party lens. And that's, we, we lose all that objectivity because everybody, those people that do it, only look at how it will impact or, or somehow push forward an agenda or their, their party of preference. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the frustrating thing is that there's some obvious wrongs that are going on right now. Uh, you know, we don't need to talk about all of them, but we know, we all know that there's been some terrible things that's happened, uh, from whatever lens that you're looking at things through. But it, no matter whether we're talking about, uh, you know, whether the police are right or the protesters are right, it's always, uh, people are, it's almost like you need to put, something on your tweet on twitter on whether this is a republican or democratic related post that way people know how to argue it's just ridiculous but i i would just like to see people come together a little bit and try to understand that you know yeah we've all got work to do i mean shoot nobody's going to be entirely right or entirely wrong any right. any, any time yeah we want to people today society today wants to paint these broad strokes big broad brush and it's all this or all that and uh and not find that some common ground in the middle and i mentioned this earlier you know there are people so critical now that protesters or rioters or or these people that are looting are getting arrested but if if you and i go break into somebody's store we are going to and should be arrested. I mean, at some point, you still have to follow and obey laws if you're going to have a, a, a lawful society. Absolutely. You know, and that's that's the thing is that, uh, you know, obviously respect for each other's rights uh, seems to be a thing of the past for far too many people. Uh, there's no doubt that um, there's some awful things that need uh, light shed on them, but that doesn't mean, uh, you know, my grandma and my parents always taught me two wrongs don't make a right you know and we've we've got we've lost track of how many wrongs have been committed here lately but uh you know that's one good thing about living in rural america is we're somewhat insulated but you know you still have a lot of concern for the future of this world the way things are going right now well we're seeing this happen in some of our rural communities and it's amazing you here again we're thinking alike i was thinking of the of two wrongs don't make a right. How often I heard that growing up, and I've been thinking a lot about that here in in the last few days. All right, let's move on. How do crops look in, on the eastern side of Illinois? 
Yeah, and so that's a, that's a really good question. So, you know, our early stuff, and we've talked about this, I think, previously, the stuff that went through the frost and the freeze, I mean, shoot, it looks like a million bucks, and we feel really good, you know, about about way, the way our April planted crops look. I even planted some of that corn when it was snowing to beat the band uh, there the second week of April. Uh, and then you fast forward to Mother's Day weekend when we had that freeze event, and that corn planted the 11th, 12th, and 13th. Man, that stuff just didn't make it in my part of the world. Uh, there's a ton of corn that's been torn up in the last two or three days. Uh, we replanted about 400 acres. Uh, I still feel good about it. It got planted there at the end of May. I think it'll come firing out of the ground. Uh, but bottom line is, you know, we're susceptible to some heat during pollination the later we plant. I feel pretty good about our crops overall. We're way ahead of where we were in 2019, but certainly 2020 has been a bit of a stretch of our uh, our patience once again. Are all your beans planted? Yeah, actually, you know, we started planting beans the day we started planting corn. Our early beans look really good. The only beans that we had not planted up until this last week uh, were river bottom beans, uh, typically uh, these wet springs the last few years. It hadn't done us any good to plant them in April or May because uh, typically we redid them. But uh, this year we went ahead and uh, we, we planted them over the weekend, and we feel pretty good about them. So we're 100% planted all the way around. How much replanting got done in East Central Illinois? A lot. You know, there was, uh, I would say, um, you know, most of the seed dealers that you talk to, it's a real issue coming up with the uh, uh, the seed that people want. Uh, and so, you know, uh, no matter what company you're talking about, there's been so much replant go on that it's been hard to source. You know, nobody wants to plant 116 day corn again, first of June, like we did last year, because some of us had to, uh, they want to plant your 107, 108 and 110 day corn. Uh, but coming across that, it's been kind of tough to do because of how much replant's been done. A lot of spraying going on, uh, when it's not too windy. Yeah, absolutely. A ton of spraying. And, you know, some of those guys that plant early beans, you know, they were supposed to uh, spray dicamba within, I believe, 45 days. So, you know, some of those uh, are being sprayed already, even though the beans aren't very tall. It's just been a really interesting year, but a lot of people putting down hay as well. So uh, this is one of the busiest times of year for producers, especially that have any diversity in their operations. But uh, the numbers on the markets don't look that good. No, they don't. You know, the interesting thing yesterday, you come in early in the morning, you hear China's going to quit buying uh, beans, quit buying pork, and then uh, within five minutes, we hear about three cargoes, supposedly. We got verification this morning of 132,000 metric tons. I think the Chinese are not going to be able to live on Brazilian beans alone, uh, but they certainly could give us the cold shoulder for a while if we get into some sort of a tiff with them. So, uh, you know, I, I would sure like to see our exports pick up significantly. If we could get anything close to phase one uh, commitments, uh, you know, type situation with corn and soybeans, it would certainly be the kind of boon that we need for our markets. But uh, at this stage of the game, I, I think uh, a person needs to be very cautious when looking at U.S. Chinese deal. All right, Matt, good to talk with you. Take care. And uh looks like it's going to warm up a lot this week, so we'll see uh, how much rain might come with that if we get any storms, something else to watch for. Absolutely. So thanks for the update. Yep. Have a good one, bud. Take care. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. That wraps it up for today. We'll have more crop condition reports from around the country coming up tomorrow. Also look at some of our exports. Looks like our pork exports to Vietnam are really strong. Talk more about that tomorrow as well right here on AOA. Stay safe, everyone.